So Money episode 860, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Morgan Rochard. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is the Ides of March, March 15th, an important day in our history. Uh, a really cool day on So Money. We have an incredible co-host who I'm going to introduce to us momentarily. But March 15th, uh, I, I we've made it through the half of March. Um, we are inching closer and closer to our launch of Stacks House. And I just want to reiterate to everybody who uh, is interested in learning more, head over to stackshouse.com to learn how to get tickets and and all the stuff that we have planned for visitors in Los Angeles later this spring. Very excited to bring this activation to the world and then hopefully to a city near you if you're not in LA or won't be visiting in LA. Uh, We hope to go to Detroit and Minneapolis and Austin and eventually New York. So hoping that LA is a success and with this pop-up with a purpose, as we're calling it, to empower women around money. And it's been really, for me, uh, quite the learning curve. You know, I, I do my own thing as my own with my own business. I, I run my own shop here. But starting a second business through Stacks House has been a huge learning process. And I, I would do it all over again. And I love every minute of it. But I'll tell you, it's a roller coaster. And one day I'll write a book about it. <laughs> Uh, or at least a really long, long blog post because we've been through quite the ringer when it comes to things like funding and you know production and all that stuff. But there's going to be a really good tell-all once this thing is up and running and stay tuned for that. Today, we have a very cool co-host. She reached out to me uh, as she's also a listener of this show and a financial expert in her own right, um, Morgan Rochard. She is a financial expert. Um, she is the founder of Origin Wealth Advisors, which is an independent fee-only practice that helps young families and professionals align with their finances and their life goals. And she's also the founder of Money Owners, which is a financial and executive coaching practice. So she's got her hands in a couple of fields and making time for us today. We we feel really grateful for you, Megan, to have you on the show. Welcome to So Money. Farnoosh, thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. What really drew you to the financial world? You're working in on in so many capacities in the money space as a planner, as an as a um, someone who's helping. you know, as a coach too, and helping clients with their mindset around money as well as their their numbers around money. So you're obviously really obsessed with this, which I think is why <laughs> you also are a listener of this show. But tell tell us how you got here. That's a great way of putting it. Um, yeah, I am definitely obsessed with this stuff. Um, so I started my career over a decade ago now, and I was an equity options trader, which is kind of a bad word, I think, in, in my field now, considering what I do. It's very slow money compared to the fast money world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of my clients actually stated it best. She said that I'm really more of a therapist and finances is my medium. And I just, when I think about how much money is weaved throughout our lives and how much we need it and use it and think about it, I just, I want to help people live the life that they want to live with the money that they have. 
I really like the way that she phrased that. And I think, uh, I think that's something that a lot of financial advisors and experts would, would agree to, you know, that maybe we didn't grow up one day dreaming of working with numbers and people. But I think at the core of it, a lot of us, myself included, we want to be of service to people. We want to help people and money is our medium of doing that. I don't think I could help people with other things necessarily as, as maybe as well as or as, uh, passionately as money. So, um, that's, that's, uh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, for sure. Also, I think I just happen to love money. And maybe that's <laughs> something that people don't normally say, but I just, I love it. It's like, it really does make the world go around. It, it like, it's a way for people to express themselves. It's also a way for people to show how hard they're working. It's just mm-hmm. uh, like, it's, it doesn't have to be so hard. Well, we don't say it enough, I think, because culturally it is not acceptable to say that. We often associate a, a love for money as um, something that is perhaps greedy or, not not well intended, you know. Mm-hmm. All the people yeah. on all the people in the cartoons growing up who were rich were evil. <laughs> That's true. And and there's so there's like this weird association with it. But I think you're right. We have to kind of spin it for what it is, which is something that is actually a great tool um, in our lives for for making change and and for doing good stuff. Now you arrived at this podcast as a listener, as an as sort of an enthusiast around money. You also listen to a lot of other podcasts. I understand. So. Give us the download. What should we be listening to? What do you like? Yeah, definitely. I'm a huge fan of Jocko podcast. Um, it's Jocko Willink is an ex Navy SEAL, and he has a lot of good leadership lessons. Um, and I think honestly, a lot of them you can apply to your money. I know sometimes he does give some investment advice that I don't agree with, but you know, I wouldn't listen to it for the money advice. I'd listen to it for the just the life advice. Um, I also like the Life Coach School podcast quite a bit. I've been really influenced by um, by Brooke Castillo and all the things that she talks about and how like our thoughts create our feelings and our feelings create our actions and therefore our results. And that's something that I really implemented in both of my practices to get my clients really thinking about like what, what is really meaningful to them and what they're doing and what are the thought loops that they keep thinking over and over and over again, they're causing them to have the results they don't want to have. So those are definitely two of my favorites. And then I'm a huge history buff. And I listen, and obviously your podcast, but I didn't include that because we're on it right now. Well, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, aside from those three, I also, um, I listen to a lot of history. I'm, I'm like really into mostly 20th century style history. Um, It's like hardcore history. I like a lot. Um, And then there's history on fire and there's a bunch of uh, just different history podcasts, revolutions. I can think of something for everyone in podcast world for (laughs) sure. For sure. There's lots of lots of things out there for everyone. Um, I also have my own podcast. I run it through Money Owners and it's all about your thoughts and your finances. So Ooh, tell us all about that. Yeah, I started it uh, back in October um, and I, I put on an episode every two weeks and I basically just cover different topics, um, mostly directed at small business owners to get them thinking about the things that are in their way that are keeping them from doing the things that they want to do with their finances or get the goals that they want achieved through their businesses. So I talk a lot about managing cash flows, managing your mind around like working with clients and kind of being your best self in your business. Um, and, and then like kind of just the regular finance stuff that you probably talk about quite a bit on your podcast. Yeah, but I like your pace. Every two weeks, it's a nice little sort of supplement to maybe some other shows that people are listening to that are more frequent. So that's uh, that was smart on your part because there's a lot of like every week or you know every other day. But I, I, the challenge for people to adapt to new podcasts is really the time commitment and like the the frequency. 
Yeah, totally. Also, it's a huge time commitment and frequency for me. I, I mean, I'm basically mm-hmm. talking to myself for a half hour or more. <laughs> and so. then editing it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I have to at least like be willing to talk to myself for that long about something I care about, which I've actually I've found it's easier than you would think once you get going with the microphone. Yes, for sure. Well, let's get to our questions this week. The first one is from Leslie, who wrote in at so many podcast.com. And she writes on behalf of her parents, which I think is really sweet. I think it's really thoughtful and kind and and um and and really exemplary that she's doing this work on the behalf of her parents. She's obviously someone who cares. And she says that her dad plans to retire in about five years. He's the main provider for himself and his her mom. Um, she says, we've lived in a lower income household their entire life. And despite being frugal, my parents haven't been able to contribute to their 401k as much as they would have needed over their lifetimes. Currently, her parents have $30,000 in a thrift savings plan and $35,000 in a Roth IRA. And that Roth IRA is invested pretty heavily in equities, stocks. She thinks they should move out of stocks from the Roth to an account that would be less risky. So first question is, what kind of account should they consider moving their money to? And then secondly, she says that she and her sister plan to help out her parents as much as they can, and that in doing so, they're going to be getting rental property income from a small second property that they recently paid off to support their parents and um, wants to kind of do what they can with that money and wants some advice in that department too, uh, how to preserve the money that they were able to save for retirement. So the first question is really just about you know, exposure to the market, is it smart in their stage with five years out from retirement to be heavily invested in stocks? I think that the general answer to that is no. I don't think you want to be over-indexed in securities and equity securities uh, as you are really close to retirement because assuming in five years, you're going to start withdrawing some of this money. Um, You don't want to be like overexposed to stocks, which can you know, go in any direction in the next five years. And then it would take time to recover and maybe you don't have that kind of time. But I do think that even if someone is in their 60s, Morgan and Chime in if you agree, like there's still room there to be invested in the stock market for sure. Yeah, I would say they shouldn't be under invested in stocks though either. So typically, um, she had mentioned a thrift account. Um, Those are typically invested in target date style funds. Um, so they're probably some that's probably a 2025 fund if her dad is five years out from retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, the 2025 funds are probably about 60, 40 stocks and bonds. So if she's hundred percent in stocks in the Roth and that's about half their allocation and then 60, 40 in the rest of it, then I would say they probably are over allocated to stocks, but that said they shouldn't be in no stocks. And that's because they're probably in their early, early sixties, I would assume based on this question. And they can live at least 25 years, if not more. And uh, if you don't have a stock allocation, then you don't have basically the funds that are going to support you through that long period of time. So just because you're taking distributions in five years doesn't necessarily mean you're taking distributions on all of the account. Right. And they have this Roth IRA, which is where she's showing some concern. And I think even within the Roth IRA, you can make adjustments. You don't have to take the money out of the Roth IRA into something else. Within that Roth IRA, you could probably find some other more um, conservative investment vehicles, maybe some bond funds. I totally agree there. I would also say like they could also just put the Roth in a target date style fund as well. And that way they have a professional manager managing when he's actually retiring based on that date. And basically the investments will mature with them over time. So the th- the thing that's really nice about the target dates is like you don't really need to do very much. Everything's done for you on the back end as long as you get the date right. 
Right. Now, her other question is more about just how to preserve this money and make sure that they have enough through their retirement. She explained, you know, making this um, contribution to her parents through this rental property income, which is great. That money, I think, should go into some sort of an emergency savings account, something liquid, something less um you know, tied up, so to speak, because again, not knowing maybe what they have in savings, but I think there should be some buckets here. There should be that investment portfolio for their retirement that's going to continue to grow in retirement. They'll be taking a distribution from that, but also to have something that is more or less a rainy day fund. And perhaps this rental property income can go to pay for those day-to-day expenses and then also to have as a cushion. Yeah, definitely. I would say having a withdrawal plan is actually one of the most important things that's very rarely even spoken about. We're always talking about, oh, you got to save as much as possible for retirement. You got to, you know, stop spending so much money. You have to put all this money away and save for retirement. But we never talk about what actually happens when you hit retirement. What does a withdrawal plan actually look like? And having a formal one, even if you don't work with an advisor or planner or anybody like that, is actually really, it's really quite important just to know, okay, like how much can I actually take out of this account once I retire to make the money last. So um, a withdrawal rate that we typically use for people who are retiring around the age of 65 or between 65 and 70 is 5.2%. So on this account size, if they have about $65,000 invested, that would be about $3,400 a year that they could take out of that money and have that money last over a long period of time. So having that number in mind, knowing how much they're going to get from Social Security, and then also knowing how much income that they're going to have from the property would be their overall total spending that they can have per year. 5% is it's higher than the 4% rule of thumb we often hear about. And, you know, I also read in Money Magazine that in the beginning of retirement, assuming you're healthy and maybe you've got, you know, some other income coming in, that to the extent that you can really withdraw as little as possible in those first, like, say, 10 years um, will come to benefit you more down the road. So you can maybe withdraw later in retirement when you might need more because of healthcare costs and other sort of unexpected financial um, financial bills. Yeah, for sure. The 4% withdrawal rate was based on a Trinity study. Um, and it was basically to withstand any market conditions over very long periods of time. So typically the 4% rule, actually, you end up with more money than you started out with at the end. Um, but it also depends on what you're invested in. That study was based on, I think it was a 50-50 stock allocation, stock bond. Um, so they would have to have a similar allocation to that. Um, if you're in more in bonds than in stocks, you need to have a lower withdrawal rate. So if they were thinking of moving out of the portfolio that they're in now to something that had more than 50% in stocks, then they'd probably want to lower the amount that they took out of the portfolio just because it won't grow as much over time. So these are all things to be considering. I know there's, like, there's a lot of levers that happen in the retirement world that that change what happens later on or how much money you have over a long period of time. I think the takeaway here for Leslie is really to run the numbers too. Go to an online calculator. Um, I believe it's choose to save.org, nerd wallet, bank rate. All these sites have lots of different retirement calculators. AARP does as well and and do those calculations, putting in what their foreseeable social security uh, income is going to be, um, what would you know, what would it be like at a 4% withdrawal rate, 5% withdrawal rate, et cetera. And I think that can help to also make things a little bit more concrete. But I also just want to say how awesome it is too that she is thinking on behalf of her parents. I think that's really, again, um, just uh, fantastic. Yeah, for sure. It's actually one of the questions I always ask my clients. It's like, who do you feel financially responsible for? And when you like really dig down and, and think about it, it's like, it's really great that she's able to plan 
for her parents in this way. Yeah. Okay, dokie. Chelsea has a question about when or rather where to set up a Roth IRA. She says that she and her husband are members of a credit union that they love and that would be the easiest for them. Does it really matter who they set up a Roth IRA with? I I would start there, frankly. I think if you've got a great relationship with a financial institution, whether it's your credit union or any other bank, you know, Roth IRAs are pretty ubiquitous. You can open them up. Almost any financial institution can help you get set up. There's also online sites. I would just maybe do an apples to apples comparison of what your credit union offers and where other places are offered offering Roth IRAs in terms of the kinds of investments that are available to you and the fees. Yeah, for sure. Credit unions, though, are typically associated with only interest-bearing type um, investments. So that's something to keep in mind. So if you do have a good relationship with your credit union, you, you could open the Roth there. But you might only have access to bonds, CDs, or cash. That's yeah, just something to consider. that's a good point. I actually have a Roth IRA with my old credit union from back in the day. And um, I'm not contributing to it right now anymore, but it was um, something that I remember opening up at my credit union. And um, But yes, definitely check out and make sure that this Roth IRA, if it's from your credit union, has offers you access to a wide variety of investments. And if not, and that's important to you, then that's where you might want to go uh, look elsewhere. Yeah. If not, a qualified custodian is definitely best. So don't pick the, some of these. I mean... I I like to think of the TD Ameritrade and Schwab's of the world as just being good places that have been around for a very long time and do the things that we need them to do. I know there are a lot of options out there, but um, I generally, I think that like going with a qualified custodian is the best way to go. Yes, for sure. Lori on Instagram is asking us, have we ever taken a step back in our careers with a lower salary and how did we manage? Do you want to go first? Yeah, for sure. So I definitely did that. Uh, <laughs> um, I started my own business, my first business. I started about five years ago now and I took a massive pay cut. We're talking about a six figure pay cut to do it. Um, I moved in with my parents for a year. I significantly cut all my expenses so that I would only spend about, I think I was spending $18,000 a year or something crazy low compared to what I was doing when I was working at a large bank. And, um, yeah, I think like the number one thing on this is just managing your mind through it. So, I mean, I'm not sure what it is that you're taking a step back from, but like a step back kind of has a little bit of a negative connotation as opposed to instead of a step back, maybe it's an opportunity for you to grow in whatever it is that you're doing. And like man- like managing it is really more about like how you want to get through it, who you want to be on the other side of it. Because for me, it was really important to me that I had enough runway and I was willing to do anything that I could to make sure that my business would stay afloat. Um, and I knew that the statistics on it were that I would need at least two years of runway to make things happen. And, um, I just did everything I could in my power to make sure I had that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have never actually left for a lower paying job, but I did pivot in terms of my career track. So I, you know, started out going to college, studying finance, thinking I was going to maybe get a, a job in finance, which would have, you know, in theory been pretty lucrative down the road. I decided kind of midway through school that I wanted to go to journalism school, um, which, you know, journalism versus finance. I mean, generally you're going to make more money on wall street than like writing for a a local paper. Uh, but (laughs) I was confident that I could make this work on, on financially and also, you know, from a uh, success standpoint. And I went to journalism school after college, got into some debt, and then started making $18 an hour before taxes. And so I, I in many ways, I was like super, super behind financially. I had debt. I was making very little money in New York City. Um, 
Whereas I could have been making a lot more money if I had just like gotten a Wall Street job after college. And so to make ends meet and to kind of manage this, um, this transition for myself, I got some side hustles. I also became very frugal. Um, and, but I also, you know, I went to graduate school for a reason, not just to, you know, get into debt, but really like to improve <laughs> my skill set and to invest in myself for the future. So this was in some ways taking a couple steps back financially, but I knew that it was going to pay itself forward in so many ways, financially and network wise and all the, all the things. And, and it has proven to be that way. So I think that my, my answer to this would just be make sure that if you're ta- if you're doing this, that it, along the way, you're really investing in yourself to build up your skills, build up your network, um, to, to make those kinds of investments in yourself and also to supplement your day-to-day Sup, you know, living expenses with income coming from other revenue streams, whether that's a babysitting job or a copywriting job, any side hustles that you feel you would want to do and can do relatively easily while you're doing this nine to five. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and that's actually something that I wish I had done a little bit more when I first started my business because um, I did take a significant pay cut, but then I tried to take on whatever clients would work with me just because I needed the money. And I think that if I had embraced the side hustle a little bit more, I would have taken on more of the right clients for what I was looking to do. So at sometimes it's it's just if, if you're in a position that you want to be in, let's say you took a pay cut because you wanted to go work somewhere that felt like the work would be more meaningful than whatever you were doing before, then like you just have to remember that while you're doing it. And then the other things that you have to do to keep doing it, it makes it a little bit more worthwhile. Well said. Okay. Last but not least, a question from Sharon. And she's a little not sure about you know, the implications of applying for a credit card on her credit score. So she's, uh, first of all, two days into my podcast and loving it so far. Thank you, Sharon. Hope we've, hope you'll stick around for more than just uh, two days. It sounds like you will. Um, but so now I really need to deliver on this question, I think. <laughs> so the question is, she was approved for a used car loan two months ago and now wants to apply for a credit card. How is this going to impact her credit score and the credit card application? And I've worked a lot in this space. I know a lot of things about credit. And I can say with confidence, Sharon, that I don't think it's going to impact you negatively just based on what you've told me. I mean, what you've told me is that you've already been approved for a car loan. So you probably have pretty good credit and it's been two months. So you're now shopping for a credit card, which is a whole other category of credit. And as far as your credit score is concerned, it likes to see that you have an ability to manage a variety of, of credit. So you've got this, you know, car loan. Now you've got a credit card. If I think where it would get a little suspicious and maybe have a negative impact on your credit scores if you were like going out there and and applying for like six credit cards within a week. Because that would indicate, would suggest to the credit score calculators that maybe you're financially fragile, you're out there trying to get credit because things aren't going well. And then, you know, if your credit score wasn't good and you're getting rejected, that's also not a good sign either. But from the from what I can tell, it just sounds like you're somebody who is, you know, using credit responsibly to get the things that you need. Um, this car loan, obviously one of them. And then this credit card, by the way, it's a 0% interest period credit card. I think um, those kinds of cards, you typically can't qualify unless you have pretty good credit. 
above average credit. So the fact that um, you're looking into this probably means that you're in a good standing. And if it's the sort of credit card that can help you get out of debt, I think you should apply for it. And I I wouldn't be too worried about the implications on your credit score or the credit card application, just based on what you've told me. But do you have any other thoughts for her? Um, Yeah, Farnoosh, I I love your answer. Um, My my actual, my main question was, why are you applying for the 0% card? So if the reason is, is that you want to transfer some onto a, a new balance, I wouldn't be so worried about the credit score as much as making sure that you're you're getting out of some bad debt mm-hmm. um, to pay it down in, a, in an easier way. But that said, like it, the zero percent interest period is always a small period of time, so make sure you're managing that properly yes. because after you after zero percent, it usually goes up quite a bit. So if you're not able to actually pay off the amount of debt that you have when you transfer the balance you might just be end up in the situation that you were in before. Right. And I would just say that if you're going to be transferring a balance to this card, make sure that you're not like maxing out the card, the limit on this card, because that could also uh, be a, a ding on your credit score because a big part of your credit score is your debt to credit ratio. And so you want to keep that ratio to no more than I would say 30% before you start to go into sort of, you know, dangerous territory with your credit score. So just be sure again, that this is going to be a card that's going to help you in accomplishing your goals and getting you out of debt quickly, but not, um, but not having any um, trade-offs in the sense that you're going to do this and then it's going to max out the credit card or that you're going to be carrying a balance after the introductory rate, which will mean more interest and debt for you over the long run. So again, I, I, as, as far as right now, applying for the credit card, I don't see any red flags. And um, thank you for the question. Yeah, it was a great question. I definitely think like having a plan in place for situations like this is so important. I think we kind of weave this into every single one of the questions here. But um, if you're if you're in debt, you need to have a plan for how you're going to get out of debt. And it's not just by transferring the balance on the card. Um, like I think sometimes we think that we have these magic bullets that we can use. And yes, they're very helpful. It is very helpful, obviously, to go to from a situation where you're paying a lot in interest to one where you're not. But it doesn't mean that it goes away. It still means that you have to chip away at it and make sure that you get you get rid of your debt over a, a reasonable period of time. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been fun. Yeah, Farnoosh, I had such a great time. Thanks so much for having me on. Again, Morgan is the founder of Origin Wealth Advisors, and we want you to go check it out, originwa.com, also moneyowners.com. And Morgan is on the Twitter at money underscore owners and also Morgan with an E, Rochard. Have a great weekend, everybody. And I hope it's so money. Money.